0: Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CME curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements as well as the learning objectives. The, the most important thing to realize about the problem, I'm going to talk a little bit about problems with real world data, is uh, the very simple question, and people ask, When did the bleeding stop? And you can always answer that the bleeding has always stopped. Uh, people will call you in the middle and I say, the bleeding is never going to stop. And I'd say, oh, yeah, it will stop. There's no question about the fact it will stop. So as Paul said, the real problem with real-world data then is defining when endpoints occur because you need to understand that because there is not a patient who's had bleeding for five years. It just does not happen. Um, so are there advantages and disadvantages to real-world data versus clinical trial data? And, and there are advantages to both real-world data and clinical trial data, and I've been trying to do um, studies in warfarin and then an, uh, 10A inhibitor reversal for almost 25 years, and they, it is an extraordinarily difficult area to do research in. And it's extraordinarily difficult to do research in because, as many of you will know, patients truly only have life-threatening bleeds at 2 a.m. on Friday, Um, And so you need to have your clinical trial infrastructure ready to go uh, at 24-7, 365. And and that is extraordinarily complex and extraordinarily expensive. But then more importantly, as Paul just highlighted, the real issue with clinical trial data in this setting is how do you define when bleeding stops? Because if a person presents with a GI bleed, unless you're going to have an, an endoscope in them for hours on end to watch when that bleeding stops... You can never truly define when within a time period that's reasonable when bleeding stops. And so I'll go to the right side of this, uh, this slide first. Um, clinical trial data is collected in a highly refined group of patients who are subject to very careful inclusion criteria. And as a result of that, the results is, are going to always be very not generalizable compared to real world data where it's collected in a much more representative sample. But the data set is almost always more complete because in order to do that study, you have a set of data that you're going to collect and then present. And particularly if the study is being prepared for submission for a a licensure or approval process, you know, the company is going to want extraordinarily careful data to be collected. So you'll have great depth of data in a very narrow slice. And clinical trials are almost always done in expert centers. And so there's always a bias built into clinical trials that the way the study was carried out, even if the protocol is carried out exactly the same in a little hospital somewhere far, far away, and in you know one of the biggest hospitals in downtown New York, the big hospital in downtown New York has experience and expertise, and so they're going to do that intervention differently than the average hospital is going to do it. So this is what I call the expert center component. Moving to the left side of the, of the, um, the slide... Uh, the advantage of real-world data is it tells you how the product is actually being used in real people out in the wild, which is great. But it's always subject to a different form of bias, many forms of bias. But one of the most important ones is that someone actually had to select that patient to get the intervention. So in the data that Paul just presented, you know, if your hospital doesn't have andexinet, which is possible, you're not going to put any patients in the Andexanet in arm of that study. If your hospital um, has n then you might put a patient into the n study. If your hospital is systematically different from another hospital, which we know all hospitals are systematically different, then um, your, your data is going to be different than all the other hospitals. Real-world data is always subject to bias because clinicians have actually sat down with the patient and included them. So if the patient's going to die, they oftentimes won't get an intervention because they're sufficiently ill. And it's influenced by many factors, including patient's insurance and payment, um, the the center's knowledge, and really importantly, the center's comfort with using a product. And so uh, when you actually look at real-world data, what are some of the limitations around real-world data? Well, the, the most important one is that you can only collect the data that is part of the data set. Whereas if you're doing a randomized control trial, you can say, I'm really interested in uh, the left leg blood pressure in this person because I think that's an important outcome. But if you're looking at real world data, no one ever does a left leg blood pressure in in clinical practice. So you're not going to get that data. You'll never be able to present it. So really hard data points like death reasonably well discerned in both clinical trials and real-world data, but lots of endpoints just are not collected very effectively, as Paul just said, in, in real-world data. Most real-world studies will have incomplete outcome ascertainment, and the endpoints are generally those that are measured in routine day-to-day clinical practice. This may result in less useful measurements than if specific, if specific outcomes of interest are measured. And there are ways of improving this. So for example, many big healthcare corporations will define a preset set of quality metrics that they want to collect on all people. And so if you can influence those quality metrics at the start of this process, then you can actually collect more valuable data, but that's a relatively limited set of circumstances within that, that, that can occur. Oftentimes, when you get real-world data, you get the feeling that the investigators have defined the question after they looked at the data, which is never the way you want to do research because you get biased results. So the other thing you need to do is you still need to stick to the principles of designing a study where you know the question was formulated before they looked at the data. They may need to change the outcomes a little bit to reflect the realities of the data, but you want confidence that these people didn't look at the data set, said, oh, there's a big difference. Let's design a study to highlight that difference. If we focus on reversal of anticoagulation, as I mentioned earlier, the big problem with doing reversal studies is it's difficult to determine the effectiveness of hemostasis since it is difficult or impossible to to determine when the bleeding stopped. It's just really hard to do that. But real world data tends to be really good for looking at hard outcomes. So hard outcomes are things like death, duration of hospitalization, uh, and things like transfusion requirement, because that's objective, it's always gonna be captured in the chart, it's very valuable pieces of information, and it's based on real patients in real clinical situations. Clinical trials data, on the other hand, um, can be procured or can be designed to collect really high quality data for the duration and extent of the bleeding for as long as the study goes on. However, that oftentimes imposes severe restrictions on the data later on. So real-world data, you can look to see what happened to those patients who got transfused within the three months after hospital discharge. It's really hard to do that in a clinical trial because most of them aren't designed to look at those outcomes. So if we look at some of the limitations of four-factor PCC studies for DOAC reversal, um, the the most important one, as I mentioned a couple of times, is unclear definitions and a lack of adjudication, variable use of accepted definitions of hemostasis, clinical judgments often used, inconsistent follow-up times, as Paul highlighted, inconsistent reporting from the time of the last dose of DOAC to the actual administration of the four-factor PCC and a very wide range of four-factor PCC doses used from fixed doses to variable doses. And when you look at the real-world outcomes of interest in examining uh, the data, comparing real-world to clinical trials data, death, duration of hospitalization and transfusion are highly relevant. They're fairly insensitive markers, whereas when a well-done clinical trial can isolate the effects of the intervention and outcomes of interest, but may lose sight of the big picture, for example, not reporting death. And clinical trial data generally will be less useful for infrequent outcomes just because of the size of the study. So in summary, the happy medium, I think, in implementing something in clinical practice is to uh, use real-world data to help you to understand how and why the intervention is being used and what happens when you use it in a broad population, giving good estimates of outcome. But clinical trial data provides you like the microscope that drills down on the specifics of the treatment and allows you to better understand the circumstances within which the intervention works. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME Incorporated